0: I'm Austin. I'm Mike. We are the test drivers. And we put tech through its paces. Mike, I have a big, big question for you. Existential, this one. Do you know what a computer is? (laughs) Have you heard of this thing called a computer yet? What is a computer? Well, I have a wonderful Apple ad I can show you all about why the iPad is
1: and or is not a computer. I am a defender of that ad, by the way. <laughs> I mean, I think even people that meme it get what they were trying to do with that one. Absolutely. It's just such a
0: ridiculous... It's like a click. It's like one of my clickbait titles, mm-hmm. except that Apple's using it in an ad, which I find very hilarious. Uh,
1: we're jumping ahead massively now, but like, I assume you have seen the ad of the magic keyboard and ipad pro oh they have basically Oh, we're gonna go here they've done it again right which i thought was very clever right Mm -hmm. like that they have they have actually given that line like what is a computer it the treatment it deserves i think this time yes
0: okay so hang on so before we dive deep into ipad land
1: i'm curious mike what devices do you use daily right now all right so i think which we should focus on Because there's like a whole big other question of like my iMac Pro and all that sort of stuff. Portable computers, right? Like I think that is... Because that's kind of what we're looking at is like, what is a laptop? Looking at the current state of laptop, right? Like computers you can put on your lap and use, (laughs) right? So I have been an iPad Pro user for work for five years. Wait, has it been five years? The iPad Pro came out in 2015,
0: Ooh, damn
1: right because we've it's kind of fun really um i was talking about this on another show that i do connected this week because we have just passed the ipad's 10th anniversary of shipping to customers so it shipped in april wait
0: yeah wait mike are you trying to tell me right now that the ipad pro has been out for the same length of time as the ipad had
1: been when the pro came out exactly Whoa. Isn't that crazy?
0: I feel that iPad
1: Pro just came out. So we went from 2010 to 2015. And now we're coming from 2015 to 2020. And in 2020, we're getting trackpad and weird keyboards. Oh, so I think finally. it's kind of like every five years, we've hit one of these big points. We went from iPad, what it was, right? as like this consumption device that you can do some work on if you want to, to know this is a serious computer, to where we are now, which is I I think trackpad support in general will change a lot of people's opinions about the iPad and especially about the iPad Pro and the Magic Keyboard. But anyway, so I've been using an iPad Pro, the 12.9 inch iPad Pro Ah, as my main computer for five years. Um, I'm a big fan of iPadOS in general. I enjoy the usability. I've been a Mac user for 15 years, 16 years, maybe a little bit longer than that. So like I'm not like you know a, a lot of people now are, are, are turning into iOS because it's like this is just the computer I grew up with or whatever. Right? But like mm-hmm. I've been a long time Mac user like half of my life at this point. But iOS and iPadOS just kind of fits really well with the way that I work. So more kind of more focused environments, right? There's less on a screen at once, which is like less distraction. I don't think of the iPad like some people do as like a one app device, but yeah. you can only ever have three at one time, right? There's only so much you can have breaking in on you. There is less inherent complexity to the iPad than there is to a Mac. Like To to be a power user of the iPad, I feel is easier than to be a power user of the Mac. And (laughs) it really does feel like in some ways that that gap is widening. My favorite reason that I love iPadOS is feature-rich modern applications. Like application development on iOS and iPadOS is the best in the world, in my opinion. It's better than any other platform.
0: Mike, are you trying to tell me that my poorly built web app of Twitter for windows
1: is not the pinnacle of modern engineering. I'm afraid afraid to say, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I mean, I've used the Twitter app now on every platform and it is best on iOS. Mm. Um, you know, I totally and and agree. there are arguments to be made for functionality reasons, right? Like, you know, like, oh, you can do this on Windows or you can do this on the Mac or you can do this on Android because of different APIs and stuff. But I feel that, like, for a consistency of experience, for an ease of use perspective and for the most interesting things that are going on, I find iOS and iPadOS to have that. So... That's kind of why I like iPad OS. but then when it comes to the iPad itself, I really love the form factor, right, because of its flexibility. So I use my iPad Pro in one of three modes, which is either as a straight-up tablet, right, so there's just, I've got the tablet, I, I always have the Apple Pencil there too, so I, I use the Apple Pencil right. not just for note-taking, but sometimes to actually just scroll and tap and snap. I've done that for years and I find that to be very, a very comfortable way to use the iPad. Um, so again, also in its flexibility, even in tablet mode, sometimes I use my fingers, sometimes I use the Apple Pencil or I use the tablet with an attached keyboard. I've been a fan of the bridge keyboards oh. for, for a while for that.
0: I can't use an iPad without a keyboard. Like legitimately, oh, I I, I'm so used to it. I'm so used to it. Like, that feels like the way an iPad is meant to be used to me.
1: If I do not have it in my fixer, I'll put a talk about in a second. Most of the time, I will have it with a keyboard. You know, it's the bridge now, but I've also always enjoyed the smart keyboard folios as well. But I like the bridge keyboard because it basically makes it like a laptop. Most of the time when I'm using my iPad Pro, I use it in a stand so it can be elevated to my height. And I plug in a keyboard Uh and use a trackpad. So I basically use it like a fixed computer. At a nice desk with my nice chair. And it's just because I love using iPad OS so much that I'm able to enjoy the flexibility of, of use case that this computer provides. These types of things, and I get it, blow people's minds how someone could use an iPad in this way. You've got the iMac Pro in the background, like collecting
0: dust. And you're like on your iPad at the desk. (laughs) Uh,
1: When I am using my iPad at that desk, behind me is my iMac Pro. Oh, oh, of course. You don't even want to look at it. No. Well, it's not that. It's just I have two different desks (laughs) in my office for that. But so that's like how I will use my iPad the most. It's because I like to be able to. And throughout the day, I will very frequently use my iPad in all of those modes that's cool, but yeah. I'm what I I want to have the consistency, right? I could move to my Mac for certain things in a day, but then I'm changing modes, I'm changing apps. It's not all available yeah. to me the way that I want, so I like to have that flexibility. So that's the majority, and and we're gonna talk in a little bit about like what we're doing on those devices, kind of from a from a like nuts and bolts level. But I also have a MacBook Pro which I use for podcasting on the road because uh, I obviously I don't record on my ipad i record everything on my imac pro but if i'm traveling i will use a MacBook pro for that okay so i don't have anywhere near as cool of an explanation for my things (laughs) so
0: (laughs) you're out here like waxing poetic about the abilities of ipad
1: austin because what you're gonna say is fine but when (laughs) i say i use an ipad pro for all of my work and i use it in a stand i have to explain it all because otherwise there are people that just can't get it because they don't They've never used an iPad that way, you know? So, on my side, it is not as exciting. So, I
0: currently use a Dell XPS 13 Mm -hmm. 2-in-1. Although, and I'll get into this in a little bit, the iPad actually has been replacing that for me somewhat, but it's a little complicated. But essentially, my history is... I definitely bounced back and forth between macOS and Windows pretty much consistently the last decade or so. And for the last like four or five years, I was more in the macOS camp. Like especially when it came to like MacBooks, like I used to carry around like an eleven-inch Air all the time, and then I switched over to a thirteen-inch Pro, and then finally a fifteen, and obviously now the sixteen-inch Pro. But the thing is for me is that macOS has been. How should I put this? Maybe not the fastest moving. And in fact, I would argue maybe some sort of backward steps recently uh, with some certain updates. Whereas on the Windows side, I feel like it has consistently gotten better and faster and smoother. And specifically with the hardware, which used to be one of the main reasons why I used a Mac, the hardware on a lot of Windows computers is
1: I would argue, better than pretty much any MacBook. Right, because you can make the same argument that for a period of time, and I think Apple's moving out of that time period now personally, yes. but for a period of time, they really took the foot off the gas of, of Mac hardware as well.
0: Absolutely right. Yeah. So like with the XPS, I love having a touchscreen. Right, like it's hard for me to use a Windows laptop without a touchscreen. I'm so used to it, and especially with the two in one, I can easily like flip it around. And also you have the nice keyboard, the solid trackpad, especially for a Windows computer. You still have a couple of Thunderbolt ports. I personally really like the XPS. However. I will say, now that we do have the 2020 iPad, and especially now that we have the trackpad support, I have been moving a lot of my sort of mobile day-to-day tasks over to the iPad. Okay. And also, what's been really helpful is I finally own an iPad. For the first time, actually, I think in my entire life, I own an iPad with LTE. And Mike, I have been missing out. It is so nice to just have it always connected. I'm
1: just like... (laughs) Tethering is easy, but it is not as easy as having a cell chip built in, right? Absolutely, (laughs) right? I don't have to worry about my phone battery Mm -hmm. dying.
0: I don't have to worry about the flakiness of sometimes the tether decides not to work. I always have my iPad there and connected, right? And that's the thing with the XPS. Like, I, when I'm going out and about... I'm tethering with the XPS all the time, but that's even more clunky, right? I'm like going into my phone, turning it on, like back and forth. Whereas the iPad, I pull it out and it's just ready.
1: Yeah, so I don't have a cell on my 12.9-inch iPad because I also have an 11-inch iPad, which is the iPad I use when I'm not at home. So if I am traveling, yeah. if I'm going to be, when we used to do this, work outside of the home for a period of time, <laughs> I would oh, have my 11-inch like... iPad with me. Um, and, and just as a quick aside... The 11 inch iPad is the iPad that like 85% of people should buy, right? Like, you should only get the 12.9 if there is a reason you already know you want the bigger screen. If you do not have a good reason for that, you should get the 11. Because since they went from like 9.7 to 10.5 and now to 11 inches, 11 to 12.9, there is not actually that much difference in usability in most tasks. But the 11 feels so much more portable than the 12.9.
0: Look, I am a big fan of small phones. Mm -hmm. And I've always been a big fan of smaller iPads. I used to love the iPad mini. The mini was it, man. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, that was, like, my favorite thing. Especially when you had, like, the little, like, the folding, like, cover. Smart Smart cover? cover? Yeah. Yeah, the smart cover. Dude, like, that was, like, my setup. But then as soon as the 9.7-inch iPad Pro came out... That was actually the first time, I guess five years ago now, that was the first time I had really seriously considered moving a lot of my work over to an iPad. And in fact, I've actually done a couple videos over the years of like trying to switch to iPad. And while that first iPad Pro, I couldn't do it. Like it was cool and the keyboard made the iPad actually viable, but still was, you know, early days, especially for me who was kind of still honestly kind of in the Windows and the Mac camp at the time. But nowadays with iPad OS and with this iPad Pro with the incredible screen and everything, I found that I'm actually starting to lean a little bit more toward using the iPad. I mean, I'm even like, so one of the things that's always been a challenge for me and specifically trying to use the iPad is dealing with files, right? So I have a lot of video files and audio files and we're connecting to servers and I'm bouncing stuff back and forth. and. Before, it was a nightmare to try to use an iPad. It was impossible until, until, like, do
1: it. until about a year or two ago. It was effectively impossible to do it unless you really knew what you were doing.
0: Exactly. But now I can actually take my iPad. If I'm going into work, I can go into the office with just my iPad. I can transfer files. Sure, it doesn't work with everything. So for example, if we're trying to dump like a red mag, right, which is obviously not something which is super normal. The iPad either can't power it or it doesn't Mm -hmm. work. So some things certainly aren't completely feasible. But for the most part, I can easily screen record. I can actually capture content on the iPad. I can actually really take advantage of being able to jump on the server and pull a file down or upload something or move things around, which is something I do pretty much on a daily basis, especially given how much I've been at home recently. Mm -hmm. So the iPad has definitely been coming up. But uh, I do take advantage of a 16-inch MacBook Pro. But honestly, Mike, I,
1: that's like my desktop. Yeah, I've, I've seen you using it. It said you use the, the 16-inch MacBook Pro as a desktop replacement, right? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. That thing, it obviously comes with
0: me when I travel and when I'm like editing on the go.
1: So when you're traveling to events and stuff, you have your machine? Exactly. Okay. So for the
0: same reason that you like to use your iPad as you kind of go between different spaces in your office, it's the same thing yep. for me. Yep. I Obviously, there are many ways to sync files across and keep things up to date, but it's always a hassle when you have multiple devices that all need to be updated, that all need to, you need to do this, you need to do that, whereas when I have, like, my edit machine that is at my desk, I can plug it in, and is plenty powerful to handle whatever edits I do, which to be fair, I don't edit as much as I used to. And then all I need to do is unplug it, put it in my backpack, jump on a plane, and I'm still completely up and running wherever I go. Yeah,
1: once I'm back in my studio, that's, that's a route that I'm gonna be taking with my recording machine. So I'm gonna still use my iMac Pro for editing, but for when I'm recording podcasts, I'm gonna use a different, more sound isolated desk where I will record onto a laptop. I'm still deciding which Mac laptop I'm going to get, but then that will be the same machine that I take with me when I travel, so it's all set up for recording, and it's just that all the settings are exact as they need to be.
0: Yeah, it's just it's one of those things where when you're doing like recording or editing or when you're doing any of this kind of creative work, the last thing you want to do is when you sit down to do an edit or something is spend ten minutes updating yep. and resetting up your keyboard shortcuts because you changed something on the other system. And- well,
1: yeah, if you've been doing this kind of creative work for a long time, your process is built on the top of lots of little tweaks that yes. you've done over time, and trying yes. to trace those back is almost impossible to do. Yeah, it's crazy. So that's why the 16 inch, and honestly, the 16
0: inch is powerful enough. It, I don't really find any downside to using it as a desktop because honestly, it's like my dual screen setup. I have it plugged into a 5K UltraFine, but the MacBook display is my secondary uh, display. And while I do have a mouse, I actually really frequently m- bounce between the mouse and the trackpad based on what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of simplifies the entire setup for me. So that's kind of my general portable setup.
1: This episode of The Test Drivers is brought to you by FreshBooks. Our friends at FreshBooks can help you save time with their super simple cloud accounting software. By simplifying tasks like invoicing, expense tracking, and getting paid online, FreshBooks has drastically reduced the time it takes for over 10 million people to deal with their paperwork. One of the things that I love about FreshBooks is it gives me peace of mind of what's going on in my business. FreshBooks will automate late payment email reminders for me so I spend less time chasing payments and more time doing what I do. And when you email a client an invoice, FreshBooks can show you whether they've seen it, which puts an end to those guessing games and the need to chase people to make sure that they pay you. If you're listening to this and not yet using FreshBooks, now is the time to try it out. They are offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for listeners of this show with no credit card requirements. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com/testdrivers, and when they say how did you hear about us, just say on the test drivers. I have been using FreshBooks for years now, and I am such a fan of how easy it makes it for me to be able to send invoices to my clients. It gives me the peace of mind that I need with my business. Go to freshbooks.com/testdrivers right now for a 30-day free trial. Our thanks to FreshBooks for their support of this show and Relay FM. So we've spoken about like the edge case devices, right? But the actual devices that we're using daily, which for me are the iPad Pro, and it's for you I think is a mix between the XPS and the iPad. Yes. Um, let's go through what we're doing on these. So I want to kind of... When I say I work from my iPad, I want to give people an example of that. Like, what is, what is that actually looking like? So... Everything that I do, which is not podcast recording and editing, is done from an iPad. And you may think to yourself, but Mike, you are a podcaster. What else is there for you to do? Right? <laughs> a lot of my work time is obviously not recording because I run the business, right? Like I, I'm I part of running FM, like the network that this is a part of. So that includes like all general work tasks, right? The types of tasks that many of our listeners will do every day. So like... All of my email is done through my iPad. So like iMessage and Slack and stuff like that, right? So communication, personal and business, I do that all from my iPad. Uh, Research for shows and the writing of all of our show documents and stuff. Like I take lots of notes before we record so I can refer to stuff. I do all of that on my iPad, including reading news. Like I read a lot of tech news to make sure I'm understanding what I want to be talking about. Uh, All the social media stuff is done there. I deal with lots of spreadsheets. Oh boy, (laughs) lots of spreadsheets uh, and contracts and stuff like that. Like I do all of those types of things on my iPad. One of the reasons I love to deal with contracts is because I can sign them with my Apple Pencil. Yes. Yes. That is so nice, man. So I've run... All of the day to day of running a small business is done from my iPad. Like tax related stuff, right? Like I'm, and it's, we, this was great, like if, a couple of days ago with the changes that they made of iOS 13. Like my accountant needed a bunch of PDFs and it's so much easier now with the download manager to deal with that like I can just yeah. click the download buttons and actually download the files which you could not do before iOS 13 you had to like open the PDF and then save like it was crazy well that's
0: the thing I feel like so many people are so skeptical when you mm-hmm. say hey I use an iPad to do these things but so many people are used to using an iPad for you know watching Netflix and like oh I'm trying to try yep. download a file oh I can't this is a joke and they never really kind of think about it again
1: whereas mm-hmm. it really has come so far and continuing to work on it right so the trackpad support that's in ios 13.4 right which allows you to hook up a mouse or a trackpad to an ipad i think is going to be able to allow a lot more people to look at this again because it really does help you feel like you're using a regular computer and then i think that's going to change a lot of people's mindsets so they're not going to be so hung up on like oh but this can't be a computer this is a toy right right uh, because ipad os is getting so powerful now that being able to put a pointer on the thing i think will help it like a little bit more sense to people as to what kind of device they're sitting down in front of absolutely i'm so i mean
0: the keyboard for me was the really the big yeah. thing that moved the ipad from yep. a consumption device to something that Definitely. you can actually create on mm-hmm. but now that we've come so far with you know adding a trackpad and the ability to do such much like I don't want to say multitasking is perfect. I still do like the, the Mac OS, the Windows style of being able to have freeform window management. But that being said, given the way that iOS apps are developed, I can't be too upset. Like it doesn't bother me that much the way the multitasking is being done. But Mike, you threw the word out toy. I'm curious. The one thing you don't do on the iPad is do podcast recording. Mm-hmm. I know it's, technically possible but i'm curious what's sort of the reasoning behind why you don't or have you even i'm sure you've experimented it with it right
1: yeah i mean it is doable i know people that do it like i have co-hosts that on occasion will record from their ipads but to get it done in a way that I am comfortable with, so to, to have some redundancy built in, yes, you need yes. to use like multiple devices, like hardware devices, in a way that I'm not happy with. And basically the main problem is on a Mac, developers have ability to grab system audio in and out, right? So as mm-hmm. we're talking right now, me and Austin are talking over Skype but I am recording my audio locally in two separate applications. Now, you can't do this on an iPad. You cannot use other applications to record the audio that you are sending and receiving. So if me and Austin were were doing this right now, really, we'd have to be using some application that I'm not used to using, right? Mm -hmm. Or I would have to be using and this is the way that most people will do it, a device like a Zoom recorder, which is also recording my audio. And that's fine-ish if you set it up properly, but like, there is no upside to me for doing this right now because I would be disrupting too heavily... The content that i'm creating it's the same reason for why i'm not currently editing shows on an ipad like there are apps to do it there are many people that use this this software to do it. it's like an app called ferrite which is really great like really great but i just don't want to learn a new application right now absolutely and that's the
0: same thing for me when it comes to using the ipad as a video editing tool right mm-hmm. so there are many apps that are quite impressive yep. when it comes to editing But I know how to use Final Cut. I've used Final Cut for years. I don't want to throw away all of that experience to try to learn a new application, especially considering that so much of the footage we use isn't just a thing that it can't, like it doesn't work well on iPad. It doesn't work on iPad, period, full stop. I cannot get red code to work on iPad. I cannot use DaVinci Resolve to color things on an iPad. Like there are things that I could do to make the iPad a usable thing. And if I had to, there's certainly footage that I could shoot Import, edit, and upload from the iPad. It's possible, but it's the same kind of thing, right? Of it's not quite to that point, and until you know Tim gives us that sweet macOS download link for iPad, it's not going to happen. Can we talk about that or no? Is that is that allowed? Can we can we talk about macOS on iPad
1: or, or are you, are you going to cut no, that off?
0: No, no, no. We can. We can.
1: It, <laughs> okay. So like, it is not outside of the realm of possibility. So. We're going to talk about ARM a little bit later on in this episode. Yeah. And one of my co-hosts, Jason Snell, has been working on a conspiracy theory, which I subscribe to and enjoy for a bit, that if Apple are going to announce an ARM transition, so they're moving from Intel to ARM on their laptop line of macOS, they're going to, in theory, need to provide developers with a testing environment. And yep. wouldn't it be great if the 2020 iPad could run a version of macOS distributed from Apple to allow people to test macOS and their apps on arm? I support this theory so hard. Mm. Like, dude, I'm so about it. We, the second I saw that
0: keyboard with the trackpad, yep. I'm like, yo, not, wait a it's minute. It's not an
1: impossible situation, especially when like you look when you benchmark a 2020 iPad oh. Pro, it beats every laptop that apple make so you know it's not it's not outside of the realm of possibility oh god okay Uh, you know
0: what we gotta change subject because i will get i get so excited by by the idea of mac os running on an ipad and i know i shouldn't because it's dumb and i'm sure that you know they'll bring out a new macbook air and it'll run you know the you know the apple chip or whatever I just... as
1: soon as they put arm in a laptop oh. that idea will will die for you because you'll get everything you want and more right like it's gonna last those batteries are gonna last for like 17 hours yep the, the designs are gonna be crazy cool right like built-in 5g yeah it's gonna be a very very different experience and you'll get everything you'll get most of what you want without a touch screen for, you know cuz i think if if they did do this like macOS arm on an ipad i don't think it will work with touch At all. I'm 50-50 on that one. I feel like this
0: would be the time if they're sort of making a big play. Obviously, it seems like this ARM transition has been coming for the Mac for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. If they're going to make a big play and they're going
1: to change a bunch of things, this would be the time that they could incorporate touch. We are going to have to agree to disagree on this. I think Apple of drawing their line in the sand harder than ever about where touch exists on their product lines. And... I believe there will be a time in the future where Apple make what we think of as Macs right now with touch screens, but I don't think it's yet. I, I I'll give you that one. I would like to see it,
0: but I would also, like to see it too. I mean, I come from the side where like Windows legitimately does a pretty good job with touch. It's certainly not perfect, but when you, you when you treat it as a trackpad mouse operating system first with touch as like an easy way to scroll or to do minor things it works pretty well and i feel like that might not be the apple way but i would really love to see yeah. touch on a laptop even for just the simplest use cases of i want to like you know pinch to zoom a, a photo or something like that but yeah. that's fine if they give me an ipad that i can download mac os to that the touchscreen doesn't work uh, that's fine that's mm-hmm. fine i just want this in my life but you know what else i want in my life mike I wanna be able to edit on my iPad. Oh, you do want to. I do, I do. Okay, so that's the thing. Like, What gets me so excited about macOS on an iPad is the idea that I would be able to use a full version of macOS, like ideally. And look, I'm going way into crazy town here. I could dual boot macOS so I could literally do everything on my iPad. I could switch over to Mac OS, import all my red footage, cut it all on Final Cut, do whatever I need to do, then jump back out to iPad OS and use it and have a wonderful, blissful life and use everything on one device. That's my dream setup. That is absolutely my dream setup.
1: But I don't think that's gonna happen. <laughs> uh, you know, so here's, my, here's the thing. I think it is incredibly possible that at some point in the not too distant future, that Apple will make Final Cut for iPad OS. Ooh, mm,
0: see, I, I kind of feel like that. Why? So, why would they continue to make Mac OS if they bring all of their pro apps over to iPad OS? Like, at that point, why don't they just merge the two, right? Like, I don't understand no. why they would put all
1: this work. Well, really? So, so, I think that it doesn't have to be the full version, right? It could be mm. a version which will work with your Final Cut profiles and will allow you to do a bunch of stuff, but maybe you can't, like, color grade in it, right? Like Final Cut Express. Yeah, but I do think that there is... Okay, so one one important part of this is, are you familiar with Apple's Universal Purchase model now? Yes, yes. So the Apple have recently included the Mac in the Universal Purchase, right? So you can now make an an app which can either be made with apple's catalyst framework which is like ipad os on the mac or with apple's regular development frameworks like appkit and include that in a bundle purchase of an ios app so which is brilliant it's the way it should be done there is there are arguments on both sides but for the regular consumer that's what people want right I can see stuff like that combined with Apple trying to show and they are trying to convince other people that the iPad is a professional tool, that they should be putting their money where their mouth is and make versions of their pro apps for iPadOS. I feel like I really want to see what happens when
0: they announce this ARM transition, right? I think it's going to be very telling which way they're going to go. Because obviously, they're not going to go through all of this work to move mac os over to arm processors for no reason right and obviously they're incredibly quickly iterating on ipad os and adding these features which really are bringing it so much closer to what mac os can do
1: well you say you see you see you said for no reason i see why you would say for no reason but like you need to think from apple's perspective apple very much care about their hardware and the performance of their hardware with their software right and intel is not delivering for them and hasn't oh. for a long time
0: oh we could talk about that in fact i feel like we were going to talk about that later in the show anyway yeah no that's absolutely the case and while we can see that intel has had a rough few years i mean even amd has caught up which is something i never thought i would say mm-hmm. but if you even if you put that aside what apple's been able to do and honestly what the entire arm ecosystem has been able to do is iterate very quickly right like we're seeing 20 30 40 50 percent gains year over year whereas for a very long time on the desktop intel has been like oh here's a couple percent here, here's a few percent there even amd who had these massive catch-ups still has not been able to keep that up right like at this rate the mobile processors of the world are very very quickly catching the traditional laptop and even kind of getting closer to what we expect to see out of like a traditional desktop. So it makes perfect sense for me for Apple to move their chips, which are already basically the best of the world, right? I mean, no one can really touch the CPU and GPU is a little bit tougher sometimes, but generally speaking, the overall performance of what Apple has been creating. Mm -hmm. But this just feels like it's such a huge moment for them when as iPad OS is ascending and as they have this huge reset switch that they can throw for Mac OS, of which direction they really want to push things. Is it just literally, hey, you know all those Intel processors you have? We're just gonna swap that out with ARM the end?
1: Well, so there's a, are you familiar with Apple's Swift UI that they introduced yes. last year? So Swift yes. UI is is like an, a next generation way of building applications where I I don't want to get into the weeds of it too much, but effectively it will become much easier for a developer to write some amount of code once and it work on all of Apple's platforms. I think that what they want to do is unify their hardware, right? So like, and then what the OSs are running on and then also unify application development for some developers if they want to opt into the SwiftUI world or the Mac Catalyst world. But keep the operating systems distinctly different for now, and this isn't necessary. Like, if I was in charge of Apple, this is not the route that I would take. Mm-hmm. I make, personally, I would want to build a next-generation operating system that unified the best of both. That's what I would want to do because I, yeah. I, I can, I think that makes sense. But I think what Apple want to do is effectively try and unify as much as possible without changing the underlying operating system, which is curious. But I think they don't want to Windows 8 everything, right? Yeah, yeah. I think they do not want to alienate either Mm. customer base too much, too fast
0: there's so much legacy support in mac os with all of these apps that have been around for yep. decades all this stuff that's built in
1: which is legitimately great i mean we were just well, talking just less a and less ago. all the time because they keep well, <laughs> cutting stuff out. but yes that is it is a good point that you're making
0: but i mean look i mean the mac still has the ability to download an app from anywhere and just run yep. it right the yep. ipad is not yep. and probably will never have that no, right never there yeah. are so many things. Like, I mean, we were talking earlier about, you know, you can't record podcasts on iPad OS because you can't easily split out like multiple audio sources. Mm-hmm. Sure, could they add that? Absolutely. But they're adding trackpad support first, right? There are so many things down the list before that is sort of like a priority mm-hmm. for them. Whereas macOS has had this built in forever. So I definitely think for the next few years or whatever it totally makes sense but i just look if you're if you're apple and you're spending all this money to develop ipad os and mac os and ios does it make sense for you to continue to develop all three of these separately for so long when specifically ipad os has really been bridging the gap between ios and mac os for a while to me that doesn't seem like it can be a really sustainable long-term decision as the ipad really has nowhere to go but to eat into the max
1: slice the pie i guess this episode is brought to you by Samebox. Getting your inbox to zero feels like an impossible task. We all get tons of email and sometimes the important stuff, the emails that really matter, can get lost. And that's where Samebox comes in. As messages arrive, Samebox triages them for you, sorting the important emails from the noise. It will put what matters to you most in your inbox, and all of the distracting stuff will go into your SaneLater folder, which lets you deal with what's important right now and to review everything when it suits you. Samebox also has nifty features like the same black hole where you could drag messages from annoying senders and you'll never hear from them again, and Sane Reminders to help notify you if somebody hasn't replied to your email by a certain date. Best of all, you can use SaneBox with any email client or phone, and it will work wherever you check your email. One of my favorite features is the Sane News folder, which will automatically take email newsletters and bundle them up and put them into a folder. This is great for a couple of reasons. One, I feel like I'm constantly getting a barrage of marketing email. Some of it I want to see, some of it I don't, but I don't need it all in my inbox. So it's really great to have it filtered out so I can get to it when I want to. And that's the same for email newsletters that I've chosen to subscribe to. It all gets put into my Sane News folder and I can go in and deal with it on my own terms. See how SaneBox can work its magic to remove distractions from your inbox by getting a free two week trial right now. Go to SaneBox.com test drivers today to start your free trial and also get a $25 credit. That's S A N E B O n e test drivers. Our thanks to Sanebox for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Can we talk a little bit about the mobile chip landscape? Oh, yes, we can. As to why Apple might even want to consider changing their situation Uh, so you know we've spoken about arm arm is the architecture that apple builds their own chips you know like the chips that go into iphones the chips that go into ipads and all of the other products that apple make Uh, and apple are able to design them themselves and then they get them fabricated by companies that they either own or part own or have great relationships with right that's kind of the way that they would do their, their business. They make an entire system on a chip that way. And because yes. Apple design it, they can design software to take advantage of it, or they can build hardware to take advantage of the software. It's wonderful for them, right? They can optimize the heck out of everything because it's theirs. It's their own integrated system. Yes. Uh, but every other computer in the world, by and large... Mm, actually, I think every other computer in the world, including yes. smartphones, yes, it's not as simple as that. Samsung are the closest because Samsung does have the foundry,
0: they have the people, the actual people who are designing the chip, and they have the phones, but they've fallen behind Qualcomm, right? Like most, like for example with the Galaxy S20, the Qualcomm Snapdragon option is the better option full stop, right? Well, but and even I feel then,
1: like, like they, 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 they can't ever push the Exynos chip too far because then you end up with different performing phones in different regions, which doesn't make any sense, right? Well, but the thing is, they kind of do right now, except oh, it's really? the opposite. Oh. <laughs> the Exynos doesn't <laughs> okay. perform as well. So when
0: you get the Exynos option, it's not as good as the Snapdragon, right? right and this okay. definitely varies
1: based <laughs> on each year. But... <laughs> It's like they, you know, they can't, but sometimes they can't help they it. Do. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: But no, so I think Apple is in a really unique position. Like you said, they own the entire experience end to end, which is crazy, right? So if you look at the difference between the iPad and the Mac right now, one of the big differences is is that Apple for new hardware is largely tied to Intel's release cycle, right? And Intel very famously over the last, I mean, it's probably been four or five years now at this point, has had serious issues with keeping on the roadmaps, right? Mm -hmm. So they used to have this thing called TikTok, which essentially meant that you would one year bring out a new architecture, bring out a bunch more performance. Then the next year, you would take that architecture and shrink it down to a smaller process node. And obviously the smaller process node, you can fit more transistors. That is traditionally been the way that we get performance, right? And Intel did that very successfully for many years and absolutely destroyed all of the competition, right? Like it wasn't even close. However, as you shrink that process node smaller and smaller, it gets more difficult. And Intel has run into real issues with, you know, they had planned on, here's, you know, our next architecture. Oh wait, but the process isn't ready. We'll just revise the old one and do it again and again and again. And while you can definitely continue to optimize what you've already built, there is certainly Uh, a law of diminishing returns there and essentially intel has fallen multiple years behind where they thought they would be right now whereas when you look over on the apple especially with the arm side of the camp they have been much less coupled because essentially intel do do everything right they design the chips they fab them themselves like it's all in-house whereas if apple is say going out to a fab such as like tsmc who have been making the uh, chips inside ipads and iphones for a little while they can partner with them say, hey, what do you have? Oh, this new process? Sweet, we'll take it. But if it's not coming along or whatever, they can go, oh, you know what? Never mind. We're going to go over and talk to someone else, right? Like there are, mind you, not a lot of these founders anymore, but there are still some options. Mm. And Apple has the ability to take advantage of whatever the best technology is at the time. And they're also not tied to Intel being like, oops, uh, This year, we couldn't bring it out, so we're just going to rev the last year's chip, whereas they know exactly what's going on because they have the Foundry team. They have everything that's sort of in-house where they can exactly build the products that they want when they want to. And also, it's a lot cheaper because, uh, fun fact, when you are uh, the Intels and, to be fair, AMDs of the world, you get to charge whatever you want because good luck trying to uh, replace yourself. Whereas Apple, they know exactly what their chips cost. They don't need to make a profit because that's just built into the device. So there are many, yep. many reasons why it makes sense for Apple to switch away from the Intels of the world to move over to their own chips.
1: So this is the fun part of it, right? Where it's like you've actually got two arguments here. There is an argument for one, Apple to switch to their own processor. But then there's argument two, which is Apple to switch away from Intel. Yes. Like, and in the past, that has been one argument. But I think now we're in the camp of it being two arguments where... Absolutely. And there is there has been lots of rumors. There's been code discovered of Apple internally developing seriously to run macOS on AMD systems.
0: It's really interesting. So our good friend Quinn Nelson mm-hmm. from the wonderful podcast Flashback, as well as... Of course, YouTube, but whatever. I like
1: to plug his podcast. Who cares about youtubeism <laughs> all right?
0: <laughs> so Quinn does a lot of Hackintosh content. That's not something that I've done a couple of Hackintoshes, but he gets way more into that. And I was having a conversation with him not too long ago, and he's like, I can't believe how easy it is to Hackintosh with AMD, with specifically their Ryzen systems. Like, in the past, you could Hackintosh on an AMD system, but the problem is, is that because macOS is designed for Intel, it was... A bit of a disaster, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it used to be incredibly difficult. It wouldn't work as well. You would have all kinds of issues. However, now, according to Quinn, at least, it's as easy, if not maybe even easier, to hackintosh on AMD versus Intel. Now, it's not exactly a one-to-one comparison. I mean, obviously intel and amd are not really like the ability to hackintosh sometimes comes down to the way that things are designed and how much time you know developers are putting into actually making these hackintosh sort of patches and everything work but that being said there's like you said very very good evidence that apple at the very least has considered getting macOS up and running on amd chips and it's hard to say because like to me, it doesn't make a ton of sense why they would switch. Like, there's been so many rumors and there's so much talk about them switching over to their own processors. Well, I'm sure it's like, you know, it's 10% as much work to switch to AMD versus switching everything over to ARM, which is a completely different instruction set. But there's enough smoke here. There's, there's some fire somewhere, right? Well,
1: because even an ARM transition, it is going to be many years before Apple moves its pro computers, right? It has to be.
0: So that's the thing, when we talk about performance of these ARM chips, right? Like the iPad is incredibly powerful compared to most thin and light Windows laptops. What it is not as powerful as is a desktop chip. What it is not powerful as is a desktop or even a laptop like serious GPU, right? It can't compete yet. Now, if you want, you can speculate in your mind of like, oh, well, what if Apple throws in a bunch of these chips? You know, what if they put in, you know, a dual processor unit or what if they just build a giant ARM chip inside a desktop? Yep. Sure, that's possible. But the problem is is that part of the reason that ARM processors have been able to get so many gains so quickly is because they're so focused on the lower power. When you start sort of cranking up, you might get 80% of the performance at 30% of the power. If you want to go to... 85% of the performance, you might need 50% of the max power, right? Like the the curve gets incredibly steep as you try to get that last little bit of performance. And it causes real issues when you're trying to push something to desktop levels of performance, right? That Mm -hmm. high level of performance is very difficult and very expensive and very power consuming to sort of reach. So it's not an entirely fair comparison to look at how a mobile device can compare to a desktop until we actually see Apple develop this stuff. They could, but it gets very difficult to imagine like you said the pro systems with we the just graphics haven't and everything seen it yet,
1: right and we we could be yes. a way away from seeing it now like i would i think it would be not ambitious to imagine apple changing over all of the laptops like well i should say the macbook air and the imac yeah. within a year or two and then maybe yeah. a couple of years later well, maybe a year after that they could maybe come up with an option for the pro laptops Looking at the iMac Pro and the Mac Pro, that's that's gonna be a longer period of time unless Apple has something up their sleeves that nobody's seen before.
0: I can believe and so there are ARM chips that are very big and power hungry, right? Like so for example, some servers run ARM chips right now, right? Mm-hmm. And generally the idea is that you have lots of small cores versus you know fewer big Intel or AMD cores. Yeah. So it is very possible that if Apple wanted to, they could take a A15X or whatever they want to call it, probably something totally different, but they take one of their current processors and just double or triple the amount of cores, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's not uh, a ridiculous thing to put into something like say like an iMac or even like a Mac Pro. But the issue is, is that while they can scale their CPUs up, I assume reasonably easily, there are certainly limits and you can't just scale forever because then you start running into other issues. But I feel that they could go quite a bit larger but the graphics, I think, are a significantly bigger bottleneck. And I don't see, while they could probably push that CPU within a couple years, like I, I, that wouldn't surprise me. But the graphics, I don't think that they're going to have integrated graphics that are anywhere near as powerful as the NVIDIAs and the AMDs of the world. Which means that to me, if they really wanted to push it into the pro market, they need to build these ARM chips that can actually work with the standard AMD and the yep. or and or the Nvidia graphics of the world, there's no or way they that need they can to get partner around
1: it. with one of those companies and work on a joint solution, right? Yes. But the other thing that we're not we've not even mentioned is software, right? Like, and so mm. we were talking about why you know Apple might want to have a development kit because they need developers to recompile their applications and tweak their applications to run on this new architecture the same way as when Apple moved from PowerPC to Intel like yes 16 or 17 years ago so and it is known or it is obvious that the more complicated an application the more work it takes and the people that use the most complicated applications are typically the professional customers yes so you know you can look at Adobe and you can see what they're doing with Photoshop right you can you can look at it and be like they are preparing for a different world, right? By bringing Photoshop for the iPad and building it up again, right? And and Adobe have spoken at length about wanting to have the same application running on all devices. It is to prepare for this future world, right? Of Absolutely. different processes that need similar looking applications. But so all of that stuff is to say we are a period of time away, which is longer from the ARM transition that Apple will make to put all of their computers running on ARM chips. So in a time when Apple was making lots of big decisions, a decision that they could make is to offer a new choice for processors. Ooh. And that, that choice could be AMD. And one of the reasons they might want to do this is because they could get significant gains. It looks like right now, especially at the high end, even on laptop or desktop, By switching to AMD. Can you, Austin, talk a little bit about the Ryzen Mobile 4000? Oh, boy, can I. So,
0: Ryzen... So, actually, let's take a little step back here. Yeah, okay. Because I feel like we have to set the stage. AMD, in the not-too-distant past was almost out of business, Mm -hmm. right? Like we're talking like, you know, 2013, 2014, they were
1: in rough shape. Because Intel destroyed them with the core processors,
0: right? Yes, and it also was helped that AMD, who is to be fair, always been a far smaller company, Mm -hmm. right? But AMD developed a core back, it was like 2011, 2012, that was a terrible idea. They tried to go multi-threaded, they tried to go, I mean, AMD's had eight core processors around for quite a while. But they were bad. like They just were not remotely competitive, right? So there was a period of time where AMD was very much in deep, deep trouble. So they essentially threw a Hail Mary and they were like, look, we're gonna build this brand new core called Zen. It's going to be sort of, we're betting the company on it. And they literally, I mean, as far as I'm aware, they pretty much bet the company on Ryzen being successful. And it turned out that not only has Ryzen been wildly successful over the last few years, but at the exact same time, Intel stumbled harder than they have pretty much in their entire yep. lives, right? Like it's, if you could go back and you could talk to time-traveled Austin from seven years ago and explain where we are today in 2020, I would not have believed it. It is it is just such an unbelievable level of luck and unfortunate circumstances that has sort of leveled the tides. I mean, like this just doesn't happen. So with that being said, where we are today in 2020 is like this. On the server side with the Zen 2 core, which goes into Ryzen 3 slash 4, it depends on what you're talking about as far as the CPUs on the mobile and desktop and server space and everything. But essentially, the core inside, the CPU core, is the Zen 2 core. This core is dominant everywhere now. In servers, which is maybe not the most exciting thing for you and I to talk about or maybe the audience, but servers are big business. Mm -hmm. Intel print money with servers, right? They print money on like $10,000 chips to go into Facebook servers that they buy by the the tens of thousands, right? Right. In servers, AMD is now a significant leader in the space. On the desktop, while Intel have very small leads in some places, specifically with gaming, so because they're able to run their chips so, so fast, even though as a whole, it might not be competitive in value in a couple of other areas, but at least Intel and AMD are somewhat competitive there. There are certainly some advantages to if you want the absolute maximum performance in like a game or something, you might want to go with an Intel chip. But besides that, when you look at price to performance, when you look at how many cores you get, when you look at streaming, all this kind of stuff, AMD has a very, very strong position. And that moves us to laptops. So Mike, have you ever used or even seen a laptop with an AMD processor in it?
1: Uh, No, I don't think so.
0: That makes sense. Because they sucked for yeah. a very long time. There was a period in the mid 2000s where AMD laptops were mildly competitive, but that was what 15 years ago. And since then, while AMD has continued to build chips for laptops, they have been put in the cheapest, worst sort of systems that an OEM makes. Like if you go to the bargain bin of the you know the local electronics store. In the past, that was pretty much where you would find a few AMD options. That was it. As soon as you got above like a few hundred dollars, AMD was gone. You were all Intel. Intel owned that market. Now, when Ryzen came out, and specifically when Ryzen came to mobile, they started to see some inroads because while the first generation of Ryzen mobile wasn't crazy competitive it was better in some ways like graphics were impressive but it still wasn't quite as good as intel and intel had spent so many years focusing on all these things that are not just the cpu right with like the low wattage panels and optimizing battery life and wi-fi and all these kind of things that they had just owned right they had just so thoroughly had that market amd had some catch up, right so they got into it with ryzen mobile then the ryzen mobile 3000 series came out which was a little bit better but it still wasn't it was kind of competitive right But then that brings us to today with Ryzen Mobile 4000 series, where they finally moved over the Zen 2 CPU. So this is the most recent, the brand new thing. This is the same sort of chip that you will find, or rather the same CPU that you find in like the Xbox Series X, the PS5, obviously all of the servers and on Ryzen desktop. Like this is like as good as it gets right now. Mm -hmm. They've moved it over to laptops. Mike, it's really good. It's like it spanks intel across the board period yep. which is a ridiculous thing to say especially for laptops where a few years ago the amd laptops you could buy were trash yeah it i watched completely your video
1: and Linus's video and the, the the definite thing that came across from both of your videos on this was you were both very surprised <laughs> at just how good the because it's, it's in the asos rog zephyr that's the first machine that's shipping with the, the zephyrus g14 okay yes
0: well, actually, that's the first one we've seen. Uh, because of the world situation, there are other laptops that will be shipping with this chip, and there's also a slightly lower wattage version, which will go in like ultrabooks and stuff. But okay. it's the same chip, just based on you know what whatever the clock speed is. Yes. Yeah, so this thing is nuts, right? So obviously, as a gaming laptop, this is really Intel's space to lose because they have thoroughly owned it, right? Like, if you had a couple of low end AMD laptops, there were no AMD uh, gaming laptops, like. Mm-hmm period, right? So the fact is they've been able to go head to head with Intel and honestly they've just been able to win, right? So this new Ryzen 4000 mobile chip is more powerful like in raw benchmarks across the board than pretty much any Intel laptop out there, period. I know actually in the Lions video he did this great comparison. He pulled out this giant Acer which was like heavily overclocked like Huge thick, it was ridiculous. Massive and fans, still right? lost. It's still lost, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. It's still lost. But on top of that, while yes, performance is important, power, especially in a laptop, is really key. And AMD wins there too, right? It's AMD significantly wins there, right? Like this AMD chip pulls less power than even like a standard, not even counting like the crazy overclocked thing that was in the Intel chip. So Yes. AMD is absolutely on top of their game right now. But the thing is, it's surprising because while they were competitive with the desktop side, it wasn't like a slam dunk, right? Like there was still like a lot of kind of back and forth. And based on the previous generation Ryzen stuff on laptops, it was good, but not great. So the fact is they leapfrogged so hard and they've completely blown away Intel is crazy. Now, that being said, Intel is not taking this lying down. They do have their new 10th gen chips, which as of recording have been announced and I have not had my chance to benchmark yet. However, the specs aren't
1: impressive.
0: It's the same thing. So the problem is, going back to my point earlier, Intel have had serious issues. They have not been able to iterate. So essentially the core inside most Intel processors is called the Skylake core. This core originally came out as a sixth generation chip. And then they made it a little bit faster for the 7th gen. And a little bit faster for the 8th gen. And then they used it again for the ninth. Mm -hmm. And surprise, surprise, it's still in the 10th gen, right? So while they've added more cores, they've tried to bring up the frequencies as much as possible but this is a very old design at this point right and they've had so many issues trying to really get things up to speed whereas amd have gotten lucky and made a lot of really smart decisions and they've not had hardly any of these and intel has just not been able to keep up which means that we live in this bizarre world where amd the company was almost bankrupt a little while ago is now beating intel the company that is worth probably 20 times them it's insane this does not ever happen
1: just ever this is it right? If like if Apple want to be able to provide the best possible experience, Intel's not given it and they haven't been for a while and they're losing on every front right now.
0: So, I probably shouldn't say this but I'll say this anyway. I've had many conversations specifically over the last year, year and a half, two years, something like that with people who are in in Integrated into the various places that we're talking about. Yeah. All right. And it has been a fairly open secret for a while that Apple is leaving Intel, right? Like this is something which has not been a surprise and everyone's been preparing for for a while right and th- well before the things even got bad right well before amd was even really this competitive right i feel like this has surprised everyone
1: the writing's been on the wall for a long time right like apple yes. is a company that likes to own its entire stack and this is effectively the only thing they have left that they don't have a hand in the design of yes exactly because they even own a huge chunk of corning the gorilla glass people yeah <laughs> right like, I mean, they have, have that much of money
0: them. yeah <laughs> well actually that would be interesting to see if they like purchase some chunk of amd or whatever as part of some future partnership or something but Damn. essentially mm-hmm. it, it to me it seems like amd is in a really strong position and let's not forget apple does take advantage of amd graphics right so on like the macbook pros yep. and on the iMacs. i mean amd graphics are the only option you can't get nvidia graphics mm-hmm. on a mac right now so obviously apple has a good relationship with amd and while i will say i don't think anyone i don't even know if amd was really fully expecting their mo the ryzen mobile 4000 to be this far ahead i mean you look at like the oems right like companies i mean this is like a year plus process to integrate you know a new chip and design a new laptop very few companies even realized how big of a jump this would be which is why there are some ryzen mobile 4000 laptops but they're not a lot because a year ago, most companies were like, oh, it'll be a little bit better, whatever. They don't think anyone realized. Like, if you could tell Razor a year and a half ago how powerful these chips are, I bet you we would have a razor blade with Ryzen in it, right? Like, I mean, I think it's it's a huge surprise. So the fact is, it seems like Apple is at least experimenting with this kind of stuff. And I'm so curious to see. Do they maybe throw a couple of, like, Zen cores into some future Mac where it's primarily running, like, you know, the ARM chip, but you might have a couple of cores for, like, backwards compatibility or something? Do they potentially take advantage of AMD graphics alongside the Apple-designed CPUs or something? I don't know, but I'm in crazy wild conspiracy mode right now, man. I'm like, crazy stuff's about to happen. I know what it is, but I'm really excited and I hope it gets nuts cuz it's it's a weird world we live in right now.
1: I think when it comes to looking at the landscape of processor architecture in all computers, it's going to change over the next couple of years in a way that it hasn't changed for about 10 or 15 years right because there's competition yes
0: there is competition now for the first time in a very long time and it's might not be a good thing for intel it might mean that everyone has to kind of get a little bit more scrappy but for us the consumers who are using these things this is this is great right Mm -hmm. like everyone is having to finally fight for it's not like oh we're gonna be two percent faster or five percent faster all these companies are really having to fight to not only just sort of like stay competitive, but in some cases to stay alive, right? Which means that we're getting some of the more unique, interesting, cool designs that we've had in a very long time.